Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, March 24th, 2023. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Senior Writer, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. The London Book Fair returns to Olympia Conference Center in April, Andrew, and this week we learned that Ukrainian authors and publishers will have a special role. Yeah, that's right. This week we got the news that war-torn Ukraine will be the spotlight country at the London Book Fair next month in partnership with the Ukrainian Books Institute, uh, English Pen, the Publishers Association, and the International Publishers Association, and I believe the British Council is also sponsoring as well. Uh, fair officials say there's going to be a series of events at the book fair that will feature Ukrainian writers in person and remotely, and that will explore how Ukrainian writers are responding to the war and the role that books play uh, in the fight against disinformation and the fight for democracy. Uh, Discussions will also include the role of women's voices in the discussions. Now, that's great news and kudos to fair organizers for taking on this really important issue. Support for Ukraine is support for democracy. And with the return of in-person book fairs now in a big way, talking about these issues on the world stage that's something that we can always count on to happen at these book fairs and something I think we've really missed in the COVID years. It's really vital. So kudos to the London Book Fair. Also this week, Andrew, your PW colleague Ed Nowotka reports on Ukrainian publishing one year since the war began. Yeah, it's a really good piece by Ed, and it's hard to believe that it's been more than a year since Russia began its invasion of Ukraine, uh, you know, killing hundreds of thousands of people and sending millions into exile. And, of course, really throwing the country's publishing industry into disarray. Uh, As Ed reports, the number of titles published in Ukraine has been cut in half. This according to the Ukrainian Book Institute, which collects data on the industry. Uh, And, of course, the nation's printing sector, which is largely based in Kharkiv, has seen its infrastructure almost destroyed totally. But despite the many disruptions, Ukrainian publishers have been able to continue their work, although uh, in a limited fashion and with many staff working remotely, uh, many from outside the country. Uh, you can read Ed's story on the PW site. It's, it's very interesting. I, I urge you all to check it out. And of course, it's good news that Ukraine is going to be back on the international stage at the London Book Fair. But as Ed points out in the article, and as people in the article also point out, the only thing that's going to bring publishing back in Ukraine is for the war to end. Three years ago, four publishers filed suit against the Internet Archive over its plan to scan books and lend them to the public. This week, the case arrived in federal court with a judge hearing motions for summary judgment. He wrote about the hearing for PW, and it sounds like the day did not go well for the Internet Archive. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, as noted in my report, if Judge John G. Kotel's questions are any indication, uh, the Internet Archive is definitely facing an uphill battle in this case. Uh, Over the course of the 90-minute hearing, Judge Kotel sounded deeply skeptical that there was sufficient basis in law to support the Internet Archive's scanning and lending of print library books under a legally untested protocol known as controlled digital lending. And the judge also, I have to say, seemed unconvinced that this case is really fundamentally about the future of library lending, as Internet Archive attorneys have argued. Now, I guess we we really should offer a little background for our listeners here. Uh, As you say, this hearing was the oral argument, uh, and it was for the party's cross motions on summary judgment. Both parties in the case have essentially asked the court to decide the case, declare them the winner, 
before a trial. Now, in its motion for summary judgment, lawyers for the publishers allege that the Internet Archive is guilty of illegally digitizing tens of thousands of in-copyright print books and making them available to readers worldwide, something that no case or no law uh, has even remotely suggested is legal. Now, in their motions, the Internet Archive counters that its efforts to scan these print books and lend them digitally under control digital lending is fair use. Uh, the Internet Archive says, hey, look, we're not pirates or thieves. We're just librarians, and we're striving to serve our patrons online, just as we have done uh, for centuries in the brick-and-mortar world. Now, I think it's a very ominous sign for the Internet Archive here is that Judge Kodal really had no questions about how controlled digital lending really works, right? There was nothing about the nuts and bolts of what the protocols are here. He really didn't talk about the mission of libraries either. There was not much back and forth about that. Instead, what he really focused on in the hearing was what basis in law the Internet Archive had that really sort of directly supported its program. And at one point in the argument, he pressed the IA's lawyer, Joe Gratz, who did a fine job, but he was under a lot of pressure. The court pressed him to tell him, uh, you're basically telling him that the case was really not about the ability of libraries to lend books, that the heart of this case is about whether or not the library has the right to make a digital copy of a book that it owns and then lend that digital copy, which it has made without a license and without permission. And, you know, while Gratz had cases he listed, Mahadi Trust case, for example, Google Books, uh, there's the famous Sony case uh, and a case about news abstracting called TVIs. Gratz did not appear to have a case that in the judge's eyes seemed to, you know, really support the sort of copying and lending that the Internet Archive was doing. And Judge Colville may not have wanted to hear about controlled digital lending, Andrew, but we should probably talk about it for a few minutes here and explain what it is and tell us why publishers are suing over it. Yeah, I, I agree. Good point. So controlled digital lending has been around for more than a decade, but it really sort of only came into our vocabulary in the last few years after it was codified by two librarians in a 2018 white paper. But basically, controlled digital lending was devised as a way to lend a legally acquired physical book over the Internet by following certain protocols. You know, basically, a library or the Internet Archive, in this case, acquires a print book for which the author has, as we assume, been paid under their publishing contract. The library then scans that print book and then makes the scan available to lend in a way that mimics the physical lend. You know, one copy, one user for a limited lend period. And crucially, the print edition is not allowed to circulate while the digital copy circulates and vice versa. In other words, if a patron borrows the print copy, then the scan can't circulate and vice versa. Uh, in the case of the Internet Archive, actually, I think the print editions are basically many of them sealed up in shipping containers so that only the scans are available. The point being that once the library has bought the book, does it really matter if the patron accesses the actual book or a picture of that book as long as there is only the one legally acquired copy to be shared, right? As long as there's only that one-to-one own to loan ratio, as the, the paper says. And it's actually a very thoughtful process. I mean, if it is piracy, as the publishers have claimed, it's a really bad brand of piracy, considering how easy it is really to just sort of find a book on the internet these days. However, three years ago, as the pandemic closed libraries and schools, the Internet Archive, as our listeners will remember, 
took the unilateral step of removing the controls from its digital lending program with something called the National Emergency Library. And that basically allowed Internet Archive users to access books simultaneously. No more one copy, one user, for example, and publishers and authors understandably freaked out. Now, for years, they'd been concerned about controlled digital lending, but I'm not sure that a lawsuit was imminent necessarily because there really wasn't you know, a ton of evidence that these crappy scans of these older 20th century books were interfering with book sales to the point that you wanted to have a big, huge lawsuit about it. But with the National Emergency Library, the Internet Archive was basically saying that the holder of the scan could take the controlled, out-of-control digital lending at their discretion. And if that's the case, well, that's not control at all. Uh, at the same time, there is, a, of course, a market for licensed access uh, library ebooks. You know, we talk about it a lot on this program, Overdrive, Hoopla, uh, companies like that. The Internet Archive argues that that market is different from controlled digital lending, right? That's a rental of a real well-made ebook for more money, and they expire so libraries can't own them. And CDL just really doesn't compete with that market, IA says. The Internet Archive believes that CDL is just a way to extend access to the library's print books. Again, if a library owns the book and it's available to be borrowed you know, in print, what does it really matter if the user looks at it digitally or you know, actually comes and gets the print book? Now, what's interesting about the hearing is that there was really no discussion at all about this, right? I was really surprised to hear that CDL didn't really come up, that the judge apparently had no questions about this. And that's probably because, well, frankly, CDL has explained well enough in the filings and in the evidence that the court probably understands exactly what it is and doesn't really think it matters. Um, as Judge Kodal's questions probably suggest throughout the hearing, he's really concerned whether or not there is any basis in law that can actually support the practice which the publishers, of course, say there is not. Indeed, opening the hearing, Elizabeth McNamara, arguing for the publishers, reiterated the plaintiff's position that CDL is, quote, built on a fallacy and that no law supports the mass digitization of millions of books being made available to anyone in the world to read for the identical purpose that they were originally published. Of course, that's to be read. Now, for the Internet Archive, Joe Gratz attempted to argue that the creation of these scans was transformative because that digital copy is just a conduit, right? It's merely incidental, he said, to the loaning of a lawfully acquired corresponding physical book. But Kodal did not seem to be buying it. He pressed Gratz hard for a case, for any case with shoulders broad enough to support that conclusion, anything that allowed for that kind of copying and distribution to take place. And frankly, Gratz did not have an answer that seemed to satisfy the judge. Internet Archive lawyers did suggest that the publishers didn't appear to suffer financial harm from these scanning and lending efforts, though. So how crucial to the case is any assessment of market impact? Yes, yeah, so Internet Archive lawyers did say that their experts showed that there was no net loss to publishers from controlled digital lending, and Kodal did question the publishers about it. Uh, even further, Internet Archive experts say that during the months the scans were open through the National Emergency Library, there was no impact. And in fact, as we all know, uh, the publishers posted revenue increases while all this activity was going on. Now, it's important to note that the publishers obviously dispute the expert witness testimony. So there's that. 
But more importantly, and this came up at the hearing, it doesn't matter, they say. There is a licensed library ebook market that exists, and that's enough to show that there's a market impact here because a publisher might be deprived of a potential license fee. And Judge Kodal put that question directly to Gratz at one point. And while you should, I guess, never assume what a judge's question really means to a case, on its face, I thought Kodal's question was revealing. And he basically asked, you know, okay, he put it this way. A library, whether they hold a physical copy of a book or not, has the ability to license an ebook from a publisher. But rather than pay the licensing fee to the publisher, some libraries can choose to make their own copy and lend that copy. Why isn't it self-evident, Kodal asked, that that deprives the publisher of the fees that the publisher could otherwise obtain from licensing that ebook to the library? Now, Gratz had an answer to that. Basically, he said it's because in the controlled digital lending situation, the question really isn't between getting access to a copy or not, right? The library already has a print copy that's available to lend. So it's really just about enabling the patron to access that copy remotely, which causes no more impact, no more harm, perhaps, for lack of a better word, than if the patron picked up the print copy. But again, that answer did not seem to satisfy Judge Kodal, who reminded Gratz that the burden was on the defendants in this case, because of course, fair use is an affirmative defense. It's their burden to prove that there was actually no harm to the publishers. And it's very difficult, given the facts of this case, to prove a negative like that. And that is clearly going to be a very high hurdle for the Internet Archive to clear. And in her closing, Elizabeth McNamara reiterated the publisher's claim that, you know, if controlled digital lending was given a green light, it would have a significant impact not only on the library ebook market, but on the consumer ebook market as well. Because the basic economic principle and common sense says you can't compete with free, she said. Any idea when a ruling on the motion may come? It could come soon. Uh, what I'm hearing from lawyers around the case that Kotal has a, a reputation for ruling very quickly. Uh, and certainly he didn't seem to, he seemed to have a lot of work done at the hearing. So we could see this in a matter of days, I think. It could be longer. But, you know, yeah, I think we're expecting something sooner rather than later. But, you know, what I can say about this, even though I don't know when we're going to see a ruling, is that it is expected that Kotal is going to decide the case at this stage, at the summary judgment stage, rather than send it off to trial. Now, of course, if he denies both motions for summary judgment, we would head to a trial. But as I've said before on this podcast, and I'll say it again, almost all of the activity that would pertain to a finding of liability, which is what this hearing was really focused on, has been stipulated to and is really not in dispute. So I don't see the need for a trial. After that, the tougher questions are going to come, right? If the court was going to fashion injunctive relief and find damages, I think that's when we'll really get into the fact disputes over how much this program may or may not have hurt the publishers and whether the scan should be destroyed, uh, which is something that you know the publishers have asked for. Uh, remember, the Internet Archive has actually argued that it should be spared damages because it, it's acted in good faith. And you have to wonder whether any court these days would order the destruction of all of these scans. And again, that's what the publishers have asked for. But you know, considering that there may be potentially legal uses for them, though not lending, I have to wonder if they'd be destroyed. You know, and if there's any good news that came for the Internet Archive from this hearing, I think it was that, you know, my read is that the judge was not 
hostile to the Internet Archive. He does not seem to have bought into the narrative that the Internet Archive is this craven piracy mill run by this anarchist named Brewster Kale who wants everything to be free. You know, at one point, Elizabeth McNamara alluded to that, saying that, you know, Kale wants everything to be free. And Judge Kotal didn't take the bait. So, I, I mean, if you want things to be free, you don't need to pay for and set up a library with all these controls, right? It seems like pretty extreme efforts to try to control this lending. And, and if Brewster wanted to make money while setting up a book scanning operation for all these old books that nobody's really clamoring for isn't exactly, you know, plastics. You know, it's not, not a great money-making venture here. So I think while it is very, very likely that the IA is going to lose this case here, that there's going to be a finding of liability here, I think the remedies question is still pretty open. And then, of course, there come the appeals. Uh, and, of course, this is where the law really gets made. I think everyone expected that the Internet Archive was going to have a tough go at the district court level because there just simply isn't a lot of case law there to support this directly on point. But, you know, when the appeals court digs in, it's there that we might get a more in-depth discussion of controlled digital lending and copyright. And, you know, it's hard to say, but what we can say is that the Internet Archive scanning and lending appears to be very much in jeopardy at this point. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer, thanks for joining me on the program with your reporting and editorial analysis. My pleasure, as always. Coming up on Velocity of Content... Publishing industry analyst Rudiger Vishenbart wants your help to map the new uncharted territories of the book business. From a bird's eye view, Vishenbart says, our new publishing planet has few major continents. It is largely an open sea dotted by islands and archipelagos. Self-publishing, subscription, and streaming lie among these new lands and far beyond the reach of most publishers. Do books even matter in such exotic territories? There is a famous UNESCO-framed uh, uh, definition from the early 1960s saying it's um, a publication for the public uh, of more than 49 pages and two covers. So it has a beginning and an end. 49 pages is uh, more than just a short story. It's a work. It's not uh, just a, a diary. Uh, and then I came up and uh, I just wanted to be a little bit uh, provocative, asking my, my friends, tell me why is an IKEA catalog or any other mail order catalog not a book? And we had a hard time coming up with definitions that would exclude that. At the same time, uh, an audiobook, for instance, is not for reading. You cannot read an audiobook, and in the brain, it's something totally different. And yet, it's a growing part of the book business from the traditional publishing companies. Beyond Publishers, next on Velocity of Content. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to this program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also find Velocity of Content on YouTube as part of the CCC channel. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening. 